hello and welcome back to another episode. Today, we'll explore strategies backed by recent research and insight from books to help us handle conflicts effectively, but also foster a positive environment from classrooms to schools and even our homes. So let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Find Your Way with your host, Q Chan. And I hope you're having a fantastic day because I sure am. So last week, I actually went to a... So this is funny. I live in Japan, right? And everyone in Japan thinks that Osaka, where I live, which is the third biggest city, is the kitchen of Japan. So what does that mean? It means that you can find the most delicious food and even possibly the fattest people <laughs> in Japan, uh, in Osaka. That's the thing. And last year, me and my family, we went to Oaxaca, which is also considered one of the kitchens of Mexico. But then this year, we went to Puebla, which is a different place. It's beautiful, beautiful. And if you have the chance to go, please go. The weather there, oh my goodness, it's absolutely beautiful. But we went there and then we saw this kind of thing that is called video mapping. I've never heard about this before. Apparently it started in New York, but I don't know. It, anyway, it's beautiful. And when they are talking about their city, Puebla, what they say is that they praise themselves of being the kitchen of Mexico. So I was a little bit confused because when I went to Oaxaca, people from Oaxaca say that that's the kitchen from Mexico. But then I go to Puebla and in Puebla people say that they're the kitchen of Mexico. So what's going on? I don't know. But nonetheless, the food there, woof, delicious. However, oh my, the portions there, they're not small, guys. There's not, they're not small at all they're huge they're absolutely huge i remember this one time we went for dinner and my dad he said i'm not that hungry so i'm just going to order something small so we are used to here up north mexico when we say tortilla uh which is like the round flour thing in which we wrap our tacos uh it's quite small i mean just normal regular size and if you've seen them possibly in Japan or in America, they're small. They're not that big, unless you're ordering like a burrito. Those are huge. Anyway, so we ask the waitress like the size of the tortilla and she's just made like a small circle. And so my dad and my mom and my and, and me, we, we just thought, oh, it's going to be a regular size. But when the dish came, Jesus, it was like a mountain. It was huge. It was huge. Anyway, that has been my last week. I'm a little bit sad because uh, next episode or possibly next next episode is going to be recorded in Japan. So I'm going to miss Mexico. But like I said before, hopefully I can come here every year and that will be amazing and i can do some things here in mexico because i as a mexican i also want to help mexicans you know it's a little bit weird that i'm in japan and i'm developing stuff in japan but i also want to develop things here in my country anyway before going so long today today it's uh, i'm particularly particularly interested in this topic today we're diving into an essential topic that i think it's crucial for teachers caregivers uh, uh principals and anyone who you know practices and takes care of others so this topic touches every facet of our lives which is 
conflict management, and positive communication. We'll explore strategies backed by recent research and insights from books to help us not only handle conflicts effectively, but also foster a positive environment in various settings because every setting is going to be incredible incredibly different it's not going to be the same every classroom that you go to is going to be different and even that classroom that you might believe is is a certain way if a different person or a different teacher goes into that classroom the environment is is going to uh, change but also is how can we foster this positive environment not only in our classrooms but also expanding it to our schools community and even and even homes so i'm going to break it down into uh four segments if i do go a little bit overboard between segment uh, one to four i might break it and just do segment one and two so i can um at the same time share some examples of some of the things that I want to talk about. I had a lot of fun doing the research for this, so hopefully you enjoy it too. So sit back, relax, and whatever time over there uh, that you're listening to this podcast, maybe, you know, drink a cup of coffee. I just love cup of coffees, but anyway, a cup of joe in the morning. So our journey begins with understanding the dynamics of conflict and communication. Recent research suggests that conflicts are inevitable, you know, and this is something that I say to all of my students. And uh, when I was a head teacher, I said this as well to uh, the other teachers is no matter how, how hard you try, you, you can't avoid fighting with someone. You can't avoid miscommunicating with someone. You can't avoid avoid arguing with someone. It's it's going to happen. However, as I mentioned in other podcasts, it is crucial that we learn how to practice two key things. One is patience, which coming back <laughs> to Mexico this year it was a little bit uh you know a little bit overwhelming how a lot of people don't practice uh, patience. And second as well, active listening. You know, every single time a lot of people want to, you know, break the conversation from whomever is talking or speaking and they just want to share their own opinion. Sometimes it's better not to say anything or maybe be the last to talk. So that way you can't feed off all of the conversations from everyone that spoke and then you can share your opinion based on everyone's opinion. The thing is, you need to practice active listening. Even if you disagree or even if you strongly disagree with someone's opinion, that's fine. And even if you're disagreeing with that person, it doesn't make that person bad. And it doesn't make you correct either. <laughs> so that's why we need to practice active listening. So how we manage them how do we manage uh, how we manage uh, conflict and communication uh, determines our relationships course so drawing from dr sheila heen's book thanks for the feedback we learn the power of receiving and giving and giving feedback constructively this skill not only helps us address conflicts but also enriches our connection and we have a whole episode on feedback that i do really recommend because at the same time, feedback, while yes, 
it is incredibly important. How we provide feedback and the type of feedback that we are giving really matters. Because sometimes, like I mentioned on that episode, please check it out. Sometimes we can go a little bit overboard or sometimes we can just be plain cold. And we don't want to be cold with our feedback. And also we don't want to go overboard with our feedback. Another strategy comes from Dr. John Gottman's uh, work on couples communication. And the thing is, I don't want to narrow it down to just couples. You can do this as well in your classroom and talking about mainly like partnerships. Sometimes in our classes, I don't know how you give your classes or how do you provide your classes. Uh, The thing is, like I mentioned before, the curriculum that I follow is IB and IB encourages a lot of students agency. And I know there's like a plethora of curriculums out there. There there are also in-house developed curriculums and it's old school, right? Like the teacher goes in front of the board and all students are, you know, expected to just sit down and listen to the teacher while This might be helpful for some. It is definitely not fun. And a lot of teachers just go there inside the classroom. They don't even connect with the students because all they're doing is, you know, writing on the board and reading from a passage from the textbook and then asking the students to do like a little quiz or pop quiz or whatever. The thing is, this way you can't connect with your students. So that's why when I'm talking about this concept don't narrow it down just to couples that maybe let's scratch couples and then let's add this as students partnerships and something like that so he talks about the concept of magic ratio that emphasizes having a five to one ratio of positive to negative interactions so this principle can extend to classrooms schools In homes, creating an environment of appreciation and open dialogue. So let's, this is something really interesting and uh, very interesting research that it cannot be really uh, proved yet because it's something new. But uh, Amazon actually came up with a ring. I forgot the name of the ring. But the ring, it's, it's always listening to your speech. And the way that you're talking, the, your intonation, your your pitch, uh, your enunciation at the same time. Like, are you saying this in a happy way? Do you sound angry? Do you sound happy? Do you sound excited? It's crazy, uh, you know, the type of technology that we have nowadays. But it's amazing as well, the data that we can collect from that. So uh, from the first trials, it was, it was quite interesting. I don't remember the correct uh, number, so that's why I don't want to lie about this but there was a correlation with people being quite negative because people were using negative words way more often than positive words and also the way that they were using the negative words weren't in a fun way you know like if you were a comedian and you had people you tell a joke and you're talking maybe using some dark comedy or black comedy and stuff like that that's something or racial comedy 
And, you know, you have people laughing about it. But it wasn't like that. It was uh, the people wearing the ring were regular, normal people, just like us. And, yeah, they, they found out that most of the time we're just being negative. And the thing is, like I mentioned before, coming back this second year to Mexico, I'm able to see Mexico with different eyes. And like I mentioned before on other episodes, is it's it's crazy the amount of negativity it's crazy the amount of anger lack of patience lack of active listening that is practice here and yeah we are in a incredibly incredibly hot environment so i do think that has something to do with it because when i was in puebla people you know tended to be a bit calmer And the weather there, whew, it was like paradise, like paradise. All right, that was segment number one. Segment number two, we're going to be talking about the benefits of uh, positive communication in the classroom. And I believe that I've spoken about this quite a lot <laughs> throughout the, um, I think possibly now over 30 episodes. Oh my God, we have uh, over 30 episodes. Uh, I've, I've spoken a lot about the benefits of positive communication. So, uh, positive communication among educators and students, it, it goes beyond academics. And actually today I had the privilege to speak with a principal of a school. And this school uh, runs from uh, preschool all the way till uh, junior high school, but they also offer, you know, uh, university degrees, master's degrees, and even uh, doctorate degrees. So I had the opportunity to speak with the principal over there. She's been working like uh, almost 50 years as a, as a teacher, which is amazing. You know, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. And I'm 35 and I've been teaching about 11 years. I'll be like 70 something. <laughs> well, I mean, hopefully I'm not working at that time in age. Anyway, uh, and we were talking about how positive relations and, and connecting, connecting emotions and feelings with our students, it, it, it will just automatically improve academics. A lot of teachers, a lot of parents focus on academics. And like I mentioned before, here in Japan, it's a, it's a custom to send them to cram schools, which are extracurricular, curricular, um, what, um, sessions, I guess. So if you're going to school and you're learning math and science, biology, history, and all that, when you go to these cram schools, you're going to be learning more of that. And the thing is, it's not even correlated with the curriculum of your school. So you might be listening and learning things that you're not really going to learn in your school. So you just, you're just confused. I don't know why they do that in in Japan while they could focus on sports and dancing and self-expression and stuff like that. Uh, anyway, recent studies like the one published in the Journal of Educational Psychology, and maybe just keep this in mind, I do quote a lot from these these journals, so it would be great if you actually you could go there and read from these research. Um, they're incredibly valuable. They reveal that classrooms with strong communication exhibit better academic performance, increased 
student engagement and reduced behavioral issues. We've spoken about this before, and I, I, I said it as well. I, I've gotten one of the, uh, I guess, best praises that I've ever gotten from a coworker, and she said to me, you know, whenever you're around a kid, the kid, they're just like drawn to you, you know, and it doesn't matter. It, it really doesn't matter the age, you know, I spend time with my nephew and my niece. We, we just get, you know, uh, to get to spend time once a year. And last year was like the first time that I see them in like seven, eight years. So they're now 11 and nine. And yeah, we had a great, great time together. Same in the classroom. I rarely have, um, Classroom management issues, I do, of course, and most likely those issues are going to be in the beginning of the school year because we still don't know each other. They don't know the limits. Uh, they don't know how far they can go, which buttons they can push, and so forth. Um, positive communication sets the tone for a safe and inclusive learning environment and here the the keyword is safe and inclusive you know i was uh today as i was talking with the principal uh i remembered something that i mentioned as well in this podcast that i was talking to a teacher and the teacher would say things like oh i kind of wish this student uh weren't in my classroom and the thing is like why would you say something like that so then why did you become a teacher you know like if you can't include that child in your class so then there's something wrong there's nothing wrong with the kid i think there's something wrong with you but nonetheless uh, a lot of people and it doesn't matter the setting what ends up happening is we don't really assume responsibility we really want to blame put the blame onto someone else And it's easier, of course, it's way easier because this way we don't have to train. This way we don't have to study. This way it's not my fault and I'm putting the blame onto the mom, the dad, or whomever the caregiver is. So that's why I mentioned that these are the, the this is this is the keyword inclusive. Inclusive. I've spoken about this doctor as well. And again, if you have the opportunity to read the book, please do so. But according to Dr. Carol Dweck's research on growth mindset, that's the title of the book. One more time. I'm sure it's in Spanish. I'm sure there's a, a version in almost any language possible. Please read it. So according to her, teachers' words can shape students' beliefs about their abilities. Encouraging words and constructive feedback foster resilience, adaptability, and a love for learning. So this is something that I usually do with my classroom in the beginning of the year when I'm assessing their abilities. So uh, at the moment, I'm teaching grade one. And when I get them, I get a list from the previous teacher and the previous teacher would say something like, okay, this student is at a certain reading level. We use a system called RAS Kids and RAS Kids, what they do is if you're able to read at a certain level, you're able to read certain words, then you're going to be level B, level C, D, E, F, all the way through Z. 
Ergo, Raz, kids, A to Z. Um, anyway, so usually what I do is I get the list and I get the list of their levels. And the funny thing is I usually try to go, well, first I talk to them and I, I, I then I can have like a, like an idea of how fluent they are in English before going into any academics. So then I get an idea and then I go like, hmm, you might be a little bit lower, you might be a little bit higher. But usually what I do, usually even including including the low level students, it, I ask them first, what's their level? And they do remember because they do have assignments um, once a week, twice, three times a week. It really depends on the teacher. So what I do is, okay, say that a student of mine said, I'm level C. And I'm like, okay. So then I will try to jump two to three levels up and see if they can do it. But I trick them into believing that the book that they're reading is level C. So I don't show it. So the thing is, if I get a, a level C, that, that will be E, D, F. So I will, I will give that student a level F. And this is amazing. Oftentimes, more often than not, the student is going to be able to read that book. So when they're reading that book and I'm praising them, I tell them, I trick you, it's not level C, it's actually level F. The 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 shine in, in their eyes is amazing. They're so happy. They give me a hug. They're just, I can't believe it. So we need to change change something about it. You know, another example would be when we are doing some like writing assignment. Uh, sometimes uh, the one of the first things that I do is I want to assess their uh, level of awareness in terms of phonics. Phonics are the sounds for each individual letter. So usually what I do is I pass them a white piece of paper. I have them folded uh, twice. So we get like four rectangles. And in each rectangle, I'm going to ask them things that they can see. So, like, go and look around the classroom. What can you see? Write down every single thing that you can see. And this is this can be quite threatening for someone because your eyes can see a lot of stuff. But if you don't know the vocab for that word, you're going to be unable to write as many things as possible. And the other thing that is uh, quite interesting is, okay, first is the things that you can see. What do you think is going to come next? So things that you cannot see. So things that you cannot see should be also easy, but at the same time, it's quite hard because it, 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 it requires you to practice active uh, critical thinking skills. So if you don't have the uh, critical thinking skills developed, you're not going to be able to do and maybe you're going to be able to write just one or two. Whereas kids who practice critical thinking, you know, on a daily basis, they're going to be able to write so many things. Then we go to the third one and is what are things that you would like to see? Again, you have square one. Square one is for the kids who are just plain simple. What can you see? So if you have the correct amount of vocab, you're going to be able to write as many things as you can see. Next is critical thinking. Third and fourth, all of them are critical thinking skills. The third one basically falls onto 
what are things that you would like to see in the classroom? So this gives me uh, an in into their minds. What kind of toys would they like to see? What kind of games would they like to play? What kind of songs would they like to sing or dance and so forth? And the last one, of course, it goes without saying. What are things that you would you would not like to see? So 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 many of them say I I would prefer not to have math class. I would prefer not to have English class. I don't want to learn about grammar and stuff like that. But some others write things like ghost, stinky things. I don't want to see uh, disrespectful friends. Uh, I don't want to see a negative environment. I, wa I don't want to see the teacher yelling or shouting. So it gives me an insight of in the way that they see life so as i mentioned it went a little bit overboard so i'm going to do next episode on segment three and four uh on on, on this topic as well and i would say that possibly yeah most likely i'm also going to because i have some examples of uh dr gottman's uh work on the uh, couples communication that i mentioned to you before and that it was about magic ratio. So that one, I, I do have some examples, but I'm going to leave it for next episode. So um, as we conclude uh, some segments uh, on our exploration of strategies for managing conflict and promoting positive communication, let's be reminded of the uh, profound impact that our words have on children people, you know, our partner, uh, our caregivers, or anyone that you interact with, our words can affect them. And our pitch, our volume can also affect them. So hopefully from the wisdom of recent research and insights from um, some books, I hope that we've learned the positive that positive communication is, is not just a tool, but a way of living and something that you should practice on a daily basis. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today on Find Your Way with your host, Q-Chan. And I'm really looking forward uh, to sharing more valuable insights with you in our upcoming episode. So until next time, and one more time, if you haven't had that cup of coffee, have it now. But if you don't like coffee, a coffee may be a cup of tea. All right? See you next time and goodbye. Well, hello, on next episode, we're going to be talking about segment three and four. So segment three will be correlation between positive communication at school and home. And segment four is going to be about building strong character and relationships. And don't forget, we're also going to be talking about examples of the magic ratio. If we cannot cover it, of course, we're going to extend it to another episode. So see you next time and have a great day. Goodbye.